You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. It's been awesome to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Um, Great music, great fellowship. I really appreciate um, all of you guys welcoming me and my family in. It's been been great. I've, I've been here before, but it's been probably been five or six years. I know I wasn't married yet because I came um, before then, but uh, so I don't know if you guys will remember that, but a lot has changed. A lot of things are, are different. In fact, when we were on our way here, um, I was like, yeah, I've, I've been there before, and then the GPS made us turn down a gravel road, and my wife gave me that death glare, like, where are we going? It's like, <laughs> so where the phone is taking us, we're just going to keep on you just keep going, so, and she's like, yeah, we're not doing this on the way back, so, Uh, if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along with where I'll be at this evening, I'll be in Romans chapter 1, Romans uh, chapter 1. Tonight, um, for this evening, I wanted to kind of give you guys a little bit of a little bit of my testimony as well as give you guys a message tonight. Can I tell you my story and who I am and why I may have been led down this passage? Because uh, you guys don't, don't really know who I am, so a lot of this stuff will be new to you. Um, my wife's sitting back there, oh, i got to hear all this again. But I just wanted to take the opportunity. The God really laid it on my heart to share some things with you guys tonight. Um, and I went with the, the, the title, Preparing for Revival. Preparing for for revival. Because, you know, revival means to get going, to make alive again, to rejuvenate. And there's a lot of different meanings it can have within the church. There's revival when, when we start following Christ, when we get saved and, and pass from dead to life. We've revived. We, we now are a follower of Him. But then there's also that those moments in our walk where we, we kind of just need a little extra push, a little extra nudge, something to wake us up. And so tonight I wanted to, to kind of lay the groundwork, I hope, for the next few nights for you guys and, and give you a message uh, entitled that, Preparing for Revival. Because revival for each one of us will look a little different. You know, I uh, did not grow up in a Christian home. I, did not, I do not have Christian parents. Uh, in fact, my parents and my grandparents, they're all still unchurched. So I'm actually the first one. Uh, my brother, he did start following Christ as well, and he got saved. So he is in church, my brother and I. But we weren't, we weren't raised in a Bible-believing home. Um, so there was a lot, of, a lot of worldviews and a lot, of, a lot of ways that I looked at life that, that came from that. Um, my parents also, they, they struggled with some addictions, um, alcoholism. Um, so oftentimes they were in and out of jail and and my brother and I would spend some time in um, homes and with therapists, and you know, and the school would would do surprise visits to make sure everything was was going okay. So, you know, um, I had somebody tell me one time whenever I was trying to when I was talking about Jesus that they said, you know, when I hear someone's a Christian, I automatically believed that you've just been brainwashed from the time you were a little kid to believe these fairy tales. But that can't be any farther from the truth. And I said, that's kind of ironic that you say that because I've actually been brainwashed the other way. I've actually been taught and led the complete opposite direction. 
uh, in our church uh, there, he mentioned I'm from the Owensboro Church, uh, the Free Will Baptist Church there, Tim Hall's church. Uh, most people know him. Uh, they started running a van ministry through the trailer, the, through the trailer park that I lived. Um, and, of course, I got on there and a couple of our friends and uh, was like, yeah, let's just start going to this church. You know, we were looking for something to do, so we started going. Um, and, and that's when I was really introduced to God's people, um, God's culture, um, and the Word of God, and then I was really introduced to Jesus Christ. And so at the age of 15, right before I turned 16, I decided to follow Christ and said, you know what, this is what I want to do. And so my life has is, is kind of gone from those lessons and from that environment that I've, that I've lived and that I've grown up in. And so when I talk about preparing for revivals, I started going to that church. That's actually where I met my wife. And a lot of people say that they married their high school sweetheart. I married my youth group sweetheart. <laughs> we didn't go to the same we didn't go to the same high school, so we actually met in youth group. But I started started following Christ and um, even went to the Bible College, Welch College for a little bit and came back home and um, I started getting complacent in my Christian walk. And I started getting, I don't know the word, I just, I just started not taking it seriously. And I got a job at Walmart there in Owensboro, and I was just a cart boy. I was just pulling up carts. And um, at the time when I worked there, they didn't have the cool machine. I don't know if you've seen, like, that actually pushes the cart with the light on it. No, they gave us a rope. It was like, here you go. <laughs> and so I would go and I'd tie it up, and I would put it on my back, and I would just go in, and I did that. All the time, and you know, and actually, they, they gave me a lot of hours there. And I, there was one other guy who was my age. Um, he worked right next to me, and we always had the same shifts. And uh, we'd work together. We'd clear one side of the parking lot, go there, clear the other. And we would talk, and we would um, hang out, and just you know, tell each other about ourselves and tell stories, you know, like coworkers do. And I remember one day, we both clocked out, and we were walking to the parking lot, and. We had worked together for about six months straight, and I had a um, crown of thorns decal on the back of my Ford Escort, um, and underneath of it had some Bible verses, you know, just, and he looked at me and he said, you're a Christian? You're a Christian? I had been working with him for six months claiming to know Christ, to follow Christ, but not once or did anything that I ever did ever give him that impression that I loved Jesus. He had to see a decal on my car because my actions were not doing it. That day, revival hit me in the heart. And the Lord woke me up. I don't want to just tell you I love Jesus. I don't want to tell people I love God. I want people to see it. I want people to know it. I want people when they pass me and say, man, there's something about him that is different. And if you work with somebody for six months and you, and you get to know things about them, but Jesus never comes up, there's something seriously wrong in our hearts. There's something seriously wrong in my heart. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this evening, Lord, and 
I'm just so thankful to be here tonight. I pray that your Holy Spirit will usher into this place, and Lord, that we would prepare for revival. Um, Lord, that we would prepare for your presence. And Lord, the whatever revival is needed for each individual, Lord, whether it's salvation or, or just to be rejuvenated, or maybe it's for a family member that they want to see saved, Lord, whatever it may be, I pray that revival would happen in this place tonight. Lord, we just want to give you all praise and glory for what you're about to do. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to start in Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to be reading uh, verses 14 through 17. And I'll, I'll show you guys where I'm going with this as we get through it. But Paul writes here and he says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so I chose this passage because here Paul is writing to the Romans and he's kind of saying like, hey, I wish I was with you guys, but I'm not. God has called me to do some other things. I'm not there with you, but I wish I wish I were. I wish I could be with you, but I have a mission. And he uses three declarative statements. He uses three different I am statements. First, he says, I am debtor. Then he says, I am ready. And then he says, I am not ashamed. And I kind of want to explore those three thoughts um, when it comes to this idea of revival. First, he says, I am debtor. And this right here is the purpose of revival. What he means when he says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise, Paul is saying that he is obligated to the people that he is called to reach. So much so that it's as if he was in debt to them. Listen, I have a calling on my life and I am in debt to the people that need me to fulfill that calling. And so when it comes to the idea of preparing for revival, we have to understand the purpose is that there is a debt to be paid. There is an obligation for us as Christians. Now, it seems like a lot, and it seems very burdensome to think, man, the people that I need to minister to and the people that I need to reach, I'm in debt to those people? It seems like, and you think about it, especially in Paul's point of view, when he had, you know, the three missionary journeys, the huge, all the churches he planted and started, it seems like a lot to be in debt to. But you see, Paul understood something. You see, there's a far greater debt. That is the debt of sin. A debt that he could never repay. You see, we all owe a debt. Every last one of us have a debt, a debt that needs to be paid. For those who are not followers of Christ, for those who are not saved, that debt is an eternal debt that would take an eternity to pay off, and you still owe payments. And so when we think about that, and we think about what Jesus did for us, when he died upon the cross and he saved us and he set us free and, and forgive us of our debts. And he said, you know what? That debt is clean, forgiven, start over. But I'm going to give you a new debt. 
debt to those you were called to minister to. And so when we think about it like that, when we think about exchanging debts, I'll gladly take that. An eternity, and I'll never repay it. Forgiven. Now my debt is to others. My calling. He had an obligation brought on by the calling of God. First thing that we also need to understand is that our debt, first and foremost, we're in debt to our families. I mean, the, the Bible is so clear about this that revival, for revival to happen, it starts within the home. It starts within the family. A strong family structure. Like I said, I did not come from that. And so, as I have many examples of what not to do, I have to look to God to see what should I be doing as a husband, as a father, to, to start that revival in my own house. Because I am in debt to them. You think about Noah's calling and his mission when he was called to build the ark. You know, it, that, what a debt. <laughs> what an obligation. What a calling to be put onto you. Build this ark. It's going to rain. You've never seen it before, but water is going to start falling from the sky. Oh, I'm sure because he believed that, his first thought was his family. I have to do this for them. And then it starts with those of us who are closest to us. When that happens, when we, when we have that revival inside the home, and then it starts, to, it starts to leak out to those that are closest to us. It's kind of like Moses and, and the people that he grew up with. They're the Egyptian and Egyptian royalty. And then his people that he was called to let them go. You see, he had a debt to pay to the people that he was closest to, his Hebrew brothers and sisters, to go and stand before the Pharaoh. Now, I tell you all this to give you examples in Scripture to show you where people work hard to pay off their debt, their calling to God. But you have one, too. You have one, too. God has placed a calling on your life, whatever that may look like, that is for you and for you only. And you are made in the image of God to fulfill that purpose to fulfill that calling. And you are the only one who can pay your debt and fulfill your calling. The answer and the question is, is, is will you? Is will you? You see, Paul understood he was in debt because, you know, he didn't have the answer to all the world's problems. And we won't either. We won't have the solution to everything um, that the world questions or that, that we may come across and, and the issues of this world. We won't have all the answers. But one thing that Paul had was he had the answer to the world's biggest problem. One thing we have is we have the answer to the world's biggest problem. I might not know all the answers. I might not have all the solutions, but I need to go because I have the answer and I have the solution. The biggest problem is sin, and I have the answer for that. That's why I must go. I know a man who, um, who attends our church who uh, is, he's, also, he's also related to me, but he, uh, he went to the doctor for some... Um, just from some minor wrist pain, you know, carpal tunnel, something minor. He went there. It was hurting him right then and there. So he went to the doctor. And when, when he was there, the doctor noticed something on his face. And he started developing some spots on his face. 
And the doctor said, oh, we need to take care of that right away. Turns out it was skin cancer. We need to get that removed right now. Get that taken care of. How crazy would we have thought if he just said, wait, hold up, doc. See, here's the thing. This is not hurting me right now, and the wrist kind of is. So let's not worry about this issue and, and you know, just fix my wrist, because that's what's hurting me right now. Wait, you're crazy. This right here will, will kill you, will really hurt you. This is serious. That is what you need to address. Yeah, but this kind of hurts. I don't really like this. This isn't hurt, and you're going to mess my face all up. You're going to change some things. I don't, I don't really care for that. You see, we need to understand is, yes, we're going to have sprained wrists. We're going to deal with people who have sprained wrists and stubbed toes, but we need to, to give them the answer, and that is Jesus Christ for their sin, and that is the biggest, biggest problem that they have. We just got to help them see it. Don't get caught up in their sprained wrists all day. We got to show them there's a much bigger issue than that. Next, we got to have patience for revival. He says, So much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. What he was saying here is listen, to go to you guys in Rome, I'm ready. I'm prepared. I want to. I love you. But I can't. Because God has this bigger, bigger plan for me. And you see, sometimes we, we get ready and we get anxious and we want to go, but we forget to wait on God. Waiting on God is one of the hardest things that a person can ever do. Especially when you get so anxious and you're so ready and it looks like it's the right thing to do. He could have went to Rome. He could have went there. And he could have preached the gospel, and he could have been there, and he could have stayed at that church, and it would have looked like he was doing the right thing. He's doing all this stuff for Jesus. I mean, obviously, he's in the will of God, but you see, he knew. That's not what he was called to do. That was not his mission. And Jesus kind of makes this clear, too, when he's talking about the end times, and he's separating the sheeps from the goats, and he says, and they say, wait a minute, wait a minute, Lord, whenever he's, he's, he's pushing some away. And they said, didn't we, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name and do all these amazing things in your name, Jesus? And he says, oh, wait a minute, depart from me. I, I never knew you. You see, so that that teaches us that it is possible to look like we're doing the right things, to to jump headfirst in doing what we think we should be doing. But but if we forget to wait on God and we forget to have that relationship with Him, to be in tune with Him, we may miss the boat completely. I think about, uh, uh, I watched a documentary that came on ESPN and it was about this football team in Oklahoma, and I love telling this story because it's, it's, one, it's funny to me, but for two, it is a very important lesson. But there was a football team in Oklahoma, and I don't know how this, this town is, but this part of Oklahoma, like high school football was, was, it was like Sunday morning church. Like it was, they were dedicated to it, they showed up to it, they were mad if their team didn't win, they, I mean, it was just high school football was their life. And in this town, they had a rival. It was a town over. And they had been on about a 10, I don't remember exactly, 11-game losing streak against their rival. 
The rival had owned them, beat them every time. And this year looked like it was going to be their year. They had some really good seniors, older, and the, uh, the rival was, had some new freshman, sophomore players. It, it looked like this was the year they were going to finally beat their rival. And in walked uh, one of the fans who also was one of the wealthy mans in the town, and he owned a car lot, and he said, you know what, I really want to make sure we beat these guys finally. I really want to make sure this is our year. So we got all the players together and the coaches together, and he said, you know what, this is what we're going to do. If you guys finally beat them, if you finally beat them, all of you who are old enough to drive, you juniors and seniors, I will give you all a new car from my lot. So these kids, of course, right? Like, oh, yes, they start getting fired up, right? Like, we're going to get that new car. We're going to get that new car. He's going to give us all new cars. Talked about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. Oh, we're going we're to beat them this year, and we're going to get those new cars. Oh, I can't wait. What kind of car are you going to get? I don't know. What kind are you going to get? You know, that kind of thing. And then that night came, and they're fired up, and they're ready to go. And they got beat 54 to nothing. They didn't even score. And I was watching that documentary. The coach said, we were so fired up about these cars that we missed the game plan. We missed the preparation. We missed the practice. We were so caught up in the reward. And we were so caught up in the excitement. And we were so caught up in the thrill of it all that we forgot to prepare. We forgot to study. You can be excited all you want, and that's good. But you have to wait on God, and you have to prepare, and you have to be ready, and you have to be put on the armor of God. You have to be ready to go. That way, when it is your time to go to battle, you're not getting beat 54 to nothing. But you're you're ready, and you're prepared, and you're studied up. That way, when God says go, you're ready to go. Another thing is, is, is yeah, we, we like to jump in too quick sometimes, but sometimes we, we don't jump in at all. On the complete opposite spectrum, God will say, go, and we say, oh, I don't know about that. We kind of get all Jonah, right? God said, go, and he said, wait, listen, you don't know those people. <laughs> They're not ready. They're not ready for this. I think, I think we just need to wait a little bit or maybe send somebody else because those people are nasty and, and they're not going to hear about you. God said, no, go. And Jonah said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go the other way. Not only am I not going to go where you want me to go, I'm going to go the complete opposite way as fast as I can. And God says, when God sent the storm, oh, no, 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 no. I need you to go now. And the whole time, Jonah just didn't understand. He said, wait a minute. Like, they're not ready. They're not ready. They're nasty. They're far from you. The biggest thing that jumps to me, out at me about this story of Jonah is, is how Jonah took it upon himself to decide when people are ready for salvation. He thought he could take it upon himself to decide when the crop was ready for harvest. And that God has no idea what he's doing. He thought he could make that decision. Listen, why it's so important that we wait on God is because we don't know. We don't know when people are ready. We don't know when their hearts will be open. 
Everything could be looking like it's the complete opposite. The complete opposite. But their hearts may be more ready than ever. So God says, go, we have to go. And last, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and to salvation to everyone that believes it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So first he said, I am debtor. And then he said, I am ready. And now he says, I am unashamed. So the third piece of revival here is the proclamation of it, the declaration of it. You see, when that time comes for us to to declare who we are, which side we're on, let us not be ashamed, let us not be ashamed that it's on God's side. You know, because deep down, whenever I was working with him and at Walmart, and he didn't know, if I look back at it, it's because I was ashamed. It's because I was ashamed. I was ashamed to say that I was a part of the church. I was ashamed to say that I was a Christian. Because you see, being ashamed and being embarrassed by God, it looks, there's, there's usually three ways that, that it shows, that it manifests itself. First is, is silence, which was me. Not saying anything when we should. Being quiet when we need to speak up. Keeping our mouth shut when we should be shouting it from the rooftops. So the first way you see a lot of people showing that they're ashamed of the gospel is they keep their mouth shut when they shouldn't. And you see, what's interesting about this is that sometimes, sometimes God does want us to kind of just listen. But most of the time, we need to speak up and stand firm that we are believers and that we are followers of Jesus Christ and that we are not ashamed. The second thing that we often try to do is we try to we try to change it or tweak it or ex- make excuses for it. What I mean by that is, you know, we're ashamed of maybe what the Bible teaches, especially in today's age where where culture and and, and things are kind of shifting to where you know if you if you say certain things out loud, um, they might be uncomfortable and, and people will start calling you you know bigot or whatever it may be. And so and so we start getting well, you know what maybe the Bible. You know, maybe it doesn't really say that. I don't, you know, I don't know about the Bible. The Bible's unclear on this when we know deep down in our hearts that the Bible is very clear and that God has a strong stance against something. But we'll try to tweak it, try to change it, or try to act confused about it. That's how we show that we're ashamed of it. And the third thing that we might do is we might just outright deny it, like Peter did. When he was ashamed of Jesus, and he said, ah, I don't know. You know, we deny because we're scared. We might be scared of what people may think of us. We deny uh, because we're not sure of ourselves or whatever it may be. You know, Peter was scared. They were about to, they were leading him away to crucify him. And he's like, wait a minute. Okay, you know, I, I had nothing to do with that. So the third way that we often show that we're ashamed of the gospel is we just completely deny it. Aren't you a member of that church in us? No, no not me. Got the wrong one. And what's interesting is when I talk about these things, about being ashamed of the gospel and being ashamed of Jesus, we're all like, yeah, yeah, okay, I've seen, I've seen that, or maybe that's been me. But what I want you to do now is I want you to take somebody that's really precious to you, someone that you love and you care about. You know, like if I take, take my daughters, for example, 
And I want you to apply everything that I just said to them, right? Like, what if I was just silent when they were being wronged? What if somebody did something to my daughters and I was too ashamed and I was just silent? What if, what if I tried to like change who she was because I was embarrassed of her? If you guys met my oldest daughter, she's a talker. And that can lead to some pretty awkward situations. But you know, like, it's who she is. That's her personality. And a lot of people love it. They look forward to seeing her. I could never change that, be embarrassed by that. But what if I outright denied them? What if I outright denied my daughter? I don't know who. Now, you know, listen, I think we've all said this before, like in the shopping center. I don't know whose kid that is. Or, you know, when they're running around. Like, we've been there. But to seriously think it, to seriously do it, to seriously say, I don't want you, I don't know who you are, you're not my child, or you're not my brother, or you're not my parent, whoever it is that you're envisioning right now. And doesn't that just break your heart to envision you doing that to them or anybody doing that to them? It rips us to pieces. It'll bring tears to our eyes to really think about this stuff. Yet when it comes to Jesus, sometimes we just let it roll right off the shoulder. The king of kings who paid our debt, who came, died on the cross, so that way our debt from eternity could be paid, and, and we just, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't really know him. No, no, Jesus. Yeah, I'll go to that church. But yet when we think about people, it breaks our heart. But when we think about Christ, it should break it even more. It should cripple us even more. You know, I've seen some people um, who come to Christ, and, and, and they were less ashamed of their sin when they were in it than they are of Christ now. And what I mean by that is when they were in their sin, like, you knew about it. You knew the sin they loved, the things they liked to partake in, and they had absolutely no problem telling you about it. Then they come to Christ and start following Jesus, and all of a sudden it's... Yeah. They might even still talk about their sins. As if it's something to, to brag about, or, yeah, I did that, or I did that. They're less ashamed of their sins than they are of Jesus. Let that never be said of us. Let us never be ashamed of Christ. Let us always be ashamed of our sins. You know, when we tell our testimony and where we came from and the things that we've done, it should not be to gloat or to brag. It should be, you know, we're ashamed of these things. And this is what God has rescued me from. And this is what He wants to do for you. I don't want to glory in my sins. I don't want to glory in, in what I used to be. I want to glory in Christ. And I want to tell you who I used to be so you know how far he's brought me. And I'm ashamed of what I was. I'm ashamed of who I was. But I'm not ashamed of who I am now. When I spent that time in Nashville, I used to volunteer at the men's mission. Um, I used to preach there every now and then. And it was always fun because um, they they had to go to the men's mission to have a place to, to stay that night. They had to go to the church service 
if they wanted a place to sleep that night. It was one of the requirements. So nobody was there that wanted to be there. So nobody was listening when you were talking. In fact, there would be people who would tell you what they really thought right in the middle of you preaching. And, and you know, I really learned a lot about that. But while I was there, there was, there was a man that I met. And every time I tell this story, I can't remember his name, but I remember it started with an R. It was like Roy or Richard, something along those lines. And I remember meeting him because he was a really old guy, um, big, long, gray beard. And, uh, and he actually, he worked there, um, and he used to be homeless. And he uh, was there helping with, you know, the church, and he was saved. He was a Christian man. He followed Christ, and he'd given his heart to the Lord. And I remember one day I was talking with him for the first time, getting his story. And he held up a picture of this, uh, this little boy and this little girl. He said, you know, I am so, so thankful, so thankful that Jesus saved me, that he brought me from where, from where I was. He said, but I have one regret. I said, you have one regret? What's that? He said, I wish I would have done it sooner. Because you see, this little boy and this little girl, they're, they're mine. He said, I haven't seen them in 40 years, 30 years, because I made a decision <laughs> that I would rather live on the street and feed my addictions than to stay at home with my family. And I left them. And he said, now, now that I have Christ, I see that. I see that. And I want to tell you guys, sin always costs you something. It may not be clear, it may not be apparent, but it always costs you, and you have no idea. For him, he thought he was just going to go live his life, be happy, and then when he got saved, he realized. He told me, I realized that sin cost me teaching my, my boy how to throw a baseball. It, it missed walking my daughter down the aisle at her wedding if she got married. I admit my sin cost me those things. And while now Christ has forgiven me and he has started and he's washed it clean, I can never get that back. And so if you're waiting today and you're thinking, you know what? This revival idea sounds cool and all. I'll start tomorrow. I'll start next Sunday. I'll start at the new year. I'll, I'll start, you know, when, once I get my life straightened up. Once I get my life in order. And to me, that's always so funny when people say that. Because, you know, I, I'm not a mechanic, and I don't know anything about cars. I don't even know where to start. I mean, I can, I can change like a headlight with the help of YouTube, but that's about it. But how silly would it be if my car broke down and I said, you know what? I'm kind of ashamed to take this to the mechanic right now. I'm going to fix it up. And then I'm going to take it to the mechanic so he can see how awesome I fixed this car. That seems silly, right? But when it comes to God and it comes to the church, we, we do that. We say, i got to fix my life up and then bring it to God so he can see what an awesome job I've done. That's just not how it works. He's the mechanic. He's the one that fixes it. We bring our broken selves to him. We cannot delay because we don't know when our car is going to finally break down for the final time. We need to be prepared today.
So when it comes to preparing the ground for salvation, let us remember the purpose. We need revival to happen because there's a debt to others that we must pay. It just comes with the calling of Christ. We have to remember to be patient. Let's wait on the Lord. What will He have us to do? And while we are waiting, we are preparing and we are ready. And third, let us not be ashamed. When revival happens, let us not be ashamed to tell others about it because it is the power of Christ for salvation. Cannot be ashamed. Thank you guys again for...